adversaries are relentless, and they're only getting smarter, faster, and more sophisticated. Knowing their game is the only way to beat them. That's why we're here. Learn what it takes to protect against even the most sophisticated attacks. Welcome to the Adversary Universe podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the CrowdStrike Adversary Universe podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Christian Rodriguez, field CTO of the Americas, and joining me, our head of intelligence, Mr. Adam Myers. How are you, sir? I'm great. How are you doing? I am doing fantastic. In fact, my head is in the clouds. No, you know what? The adversaries, their heads are in the clouds. And today's episode is actually going to focus on adversaries that are more cloud conscious. The term basically refers to threat actors that are very aware of the ability to compromise cloud workloads. They're very familiar with the services that run in the likes of AWS and GCP and Azure. And they've built their tradecraft around understanding these services and more importantly, the way that these services can be exploited, either due to potential negligence of the admins that are responsible for these services or just basic misconfigurations across the services in each of those major cloud providers. And if you haven't read our global threat report for 2023, please do so for one. But more importantly, you'll notice that not only are enterprises rapidly adopting cloud services and the strategy of lift and shift and moving assets into cloud infrastructure and cloud services, but the adversaries are doubling down, if not tripling down on their tradecraft against these CSPs. So Adam, I know we're going to talk about this here in a second, but cloud exploit cases grew by a whopping 95% growth rate, right? So that included adversaries, very cloud conscious. They understand the infrastructure, the services, the nuances. They know how to exploit them. They know that misconfigurations can lead to some major implications. Basically, the amount of actors that are familiar with these services almost tripled from 2021 observations on adversaries that knew how to work their way across these cloud services. And I really want to get your take on what we're seeing, what we can expect, but really, you know, what does this mean to the industry? Well, I think you called out the first big data point, 95% uptick in intrusions that had a cloud component to it. And that's pretty significant. About a year ago, if you had said, hey, Adam, what's the big threat in the cloud? I probably would have told you coin miners. Oh, okay. That's really what we were seeing was threat actors getting into cloud accounts and deploying coin miners and trying to generate some cryptocurrency. In the last year, that changed. Yeah. And we've seen every manner of threat actor uh, in that space, as you mentioned, we saw nearly a threefold increase in what we call a cloud conscious threat actor. Or think of that as a cloud capable threat actor. Mm. And, you know, you think about how you would reconnoiter a network, for example, you would probably, you know, in a traditional enterprise, you'd probably use something like Nmap to do some port scans sure. and look for and enumerate all the systems that are on the enterprise and yep. what ports are open and what services are running, et cetera. Yep. Yep. You don't do that. In, in a SaaS environment, no need cloud to. environment. Yeah, there's no need to. One, it probably won't work. And two, there's better ways to do it. So one of the things you know that I have seen threat actors do is rather than try to do a port scan or something like that, they'll employ the billing APIs in order to ascertain what systems are deployed and what their configuration is once they get in. And similarly, you can monitor for changes using other APIs 
to understand when new systems are deployed or if the security team is on to you. And that is, you know, a huge change in adversary tactics, right? They, they've learned now how to operate inside of the cloud. When we think about some of the cloud conscious threat actors that are out there, one of the things that they really have been taking advantage of is that organizations have been moving more and more into split domains where they'll have a a local domain for their their Microsoft environment, and then they'll have an Azure Active Directory. So just to clarify, that would be a challenge of identifying authentications across two different identity stores. Yeah. And as we saw during the SolarWinds incident, having that setup where you've got cloud synchronization between your Azure Active Directory and your, your local domain Active Directory, that you have to treat that ADFS system, the, the federated server, just like a domain controller and have the right security controls on it because if a threat actor can get into the ADFS system on the local domain, then it's a lot worse than getting domain admin. Right now they can do a golden SAML attack and have complete capabilities across both the cloud and the, yeah. the enterprise. Okay, so so Willy Wonka memes aside, a golden SAML or golden ticket attack ultimately means that the adversary has full access to your environment. They're walking in through the front door, keys to the kingdom like access to any system. How does an enterprise even recover from an attack of this magnitude? It's pretty significant. Yeah, I mean, first you have to you find everywhere that they were and you have to evict them from the, the infrastructure. You have to do at least you know one enterprise-wide password reset. You have to reconstruct all of the cryptographic material for synchronizing between the cloud and the local domain, it's it's definitely a big mess and one that requires quite a bit of coordination and activity. So the best way to get out of that situation is to not have it happen in the first place. Yeah, that sounds like a complete disaster. And I'm sure it's very expensive and the impact to the business is substantial. But we're also seeing resource hijacking having a major impact on the business. It's costing enterprises substantial money when these resources are taken over by a group and they're using those resources for spam bots or botnet infrastructure. We've also seen some destructive actions. So Think about account access removal or even data destruction or service stoppage and resource deletion. And, you know, the impact again to the business could be significant given the nature of those services tied to revenue generating capabilities of your business or perhaps even a service that keeps your entire business operational. So every business is going to measure risk differently. But I think the bigger question is, how are adversaries even getting access to these services in the cloud to begin with? First of all, the, the way they're getting in is increasingly by compromising identities. I can't tell you how many cases just today I've gotten pulled into where a legitimate credential was compromised by a threat actor and they were able to, you know, there was multi-factor was misconfigured or there was some issue and they were able to go from that directly into the enterprise environment. You know, once they get in, they're, they're targeting, a lot of these organizations are running in Azure with O365 or M365, and they're going directly after the configuration inside of Azure that are changing things. And I mean, if you've ever tried to administer an Azure instance, you know, a cloud-based active directory, it's pretty complex. It reminds me of that old adage that the defender has to be right 100% of the time and the attacker only needs to get lucky once. And that becomes infinitely more complex when properly configuring these systems, you know, at the at the operating system level up to the cloud level are so complex that 
you know, the defender, they, they have to be a, a master of all of the trades, uh, whether it be properly configuring all of the cloud instances, making sure that you have the right policies set, making sure that you understand just anything that, that is misconfigured and, and being able to find that very quickly. I mean, there's so much complexity in these, these systems now that they're in a bad position They're They're fighting with a disadvantage when they only have the out of the box vanilla tools. Okay. So these cloud conscious adversaries, they sound a little more advanced than maybe some of the traditional e-crime or nation state groups that we're tracking. This is called the Adversary Universe podcast. And so naturally, we're tracking a variety of different groups across, you know, nation state and e-crime and hacktivist groups. And maybe just to level set for those listeners that are new to the podcast or are new to the way that we capture intelligence, would you mind explaining very briefly the way that we have built a naming system around the adversaries we track? Then maybe you can share also some feedback on the different skill sets that we assess whenever we find or start tracking a new adversary or a group of adversaries or a new campaign that may be targeted against a specific vertical and how that entire attribution process ultimately comes to fruition. When we talk about adversaries, we have this cryptonym system. When we talk about China, for example, a nation state threat actor associated with China, we call it something panda. Dozens of different threat actors that we've associated with the nation state of China. We know that in many cases they're tied to the People's Liberation Army Strategic Support Forces or the Ministry of State Security. We've done similar with Russia, which we track as Bear, North Korea, which we track as Chilima. Iran, which we track as Kitten. We track hacktivist, activist, and nationalist groups under the cryptonym Jackal. And all financially motivated non-state e-crime, we track under Spider. Scattered Spider has been operating for about a year, maybe a little bit more actually now. They initially were really focused on business process outsourcing, BPO. Think of when you call your cellular company because you have a problem with your account and you call them up you're not necessarily talking to somebody that works for that company. You may be talking to a trained customer service person who works for a third party. And the whole purpose of that is that they can kind of get 24 by 7 coverage or whatever it is, and they don't have to have these help desk kind of position staffing for account issues. And so when you're talking to that person and you have an issue with your whatever account it might be, they have to have some ability to check your account. They have to have some ability to modify your account, perhaps. What that means is that the third-party business process outsourcer likely has some back-end access into an account management portal, if not system. So if you have an issue with your account, they can make a a number of different changes. And so if you think about this from a, a cell phone perspective, one of the things that that access enables that BPO agent to do is potentially SIM swap somebody. Swap the the SIM identifier for your phone with another phone. And you can use this to bypass multi-factor authentication, to snoop on calls for lots of different nefarious purposes. And so Scattered Spider for many months was really focused on targeting these BPOs. We have a blog post out about this actually. And ultimately the likely purpose for that was that they wanted to get backend access to some of the bigger mobile providers and ISPs and such so that they could actually take over accounts and use that to target any number of things. In fact, we think they were trying to set up a criminal service 
to let them do, for example, SIM swapping for a fee. And so if you're a criminal and you want to bypass multi-factor authentication or you want to target somebody's cell phone and, and get all their phone calls for some sort of fraud, then you know you would use this SIM swapping service that they were intending to stand up. And so they did this for a number of months, really from March of 22 through December of 22. And then in December, they kind of started branching out and really looking for new targets. Some of the things that they had experimented with early on was going after source code. They would steal source code by getting into an organization. And I'll come back to how in a second, and, and you'll see why that's such an easy move for them. But they would come in and they would steal that source code, and then they would attempt to extort the company. And if the company refused to pay, then they would threaten to sell it on underground forums or the, the deep dark web. And recent weeks, they've really started to move into the ransomware as a service model where they are an affiliate of the Alpha-V ransomware as a service and have been deploying that ransomware pretty effectively across, uh, particularly against systems like ESXi, because they figured out that there's no EDR on ESXi. So they've been able to take advantage of that. And it's important to kind of also understand how they get in. One of the things that they do is they're really good at phishing. And I hate myself every time I say this, they do a lot of vishing, which is voice phishing or smishing, which is SMS phishing. Mm. And I'll never say those things again, hopefully. I'm not going to lie. You saying smishing just made me cringe. That's really bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hate saying it. I hate saying it. Yeah, we're masters of portmanteau and cybersecurity, I guess. Right? <laughs> but they're really good at it. And so with their phishing, for example, they use something like an Evil Genix 2 type of framework where they will and one of the hallmarks one of the things that they do really well is they're they're good at setting up domains that look similar to internal corporate infrastructures so this is a really good example of typo squatting right yeah they'll add like dash sso or or something like that to the domain name just to make it seem like it's part of your single sign-on solution. This would be more focused on MFA then, right? Right, right. And and if you look at Evil Genix 2, it's got built-in plugins for all of the popular IDPs that are out there oh, and, and yeah. you know, cloud services as well, which is why this is, you know, a cloud problem. Yep, makes sense. And so they'll they'll compromise those credentials or they'll you know, if they run into multi-factor auth, they'll do voice calls and they'll call people up and claim to be from IT and try to talk them into doing something. And once they get in, they're typically going to deploy a remote management tool, RMM, and uh, these are legitimate tools that a lot of organizations will use, things like AnyDesk or FleetDeck for managing remote systems, and they'll use that to kind of stay Outside of this, you know, if they bring malware, it's going to probably stand out. So by using something that might be a little bit more of a dual purpose tool, let's say, then then they could kind of stay under the radar and they'll use that to then move laterally and escalate privileges. So we think it's a relatively small group of people, but they are extremely effective at social engineering, getting in and ultimately now being able to employ, you know, ransomware to get financial gratification from their activity, which they really hadn't gotten a lot of money from what we could tell beforehand. And this group, we know that they source things from other underground forums and other underground operators, but uh, really a huge problem. And I think this speaks to the cloud issue that we were discussing because this is a cloud conscious threat actor. Yeah, but with that said, these cloud conscious adversaries realize that a lot of these services are short-lived in nature. 
you know, sometimes there's longer living instances within different cloud environments. Nonetheless, you know, what is the actual narrative post initial access, right? They're going to get access into a system. They're going to be very aggressive about lateral movement, but naturally there's going to be this tendency for a cloud conscious adversary to try and stay persistent in some capacity, right? Before they try to move laterally. So, so what are they trying to access once they establish a foothold on a system? Yeah. You know, like I said, the, because they're fishing, one of the things that they'll typically get into first is the IDP. And so a lot of these IDPs will have tiles for different things that you can then get access to. And oftentimes collaboration tools are going to be in there. Things like Teams or Slack or source code repositories will also be in there. Being very technical, this crew of actors, they tend to kind of gravitate towards over-indexing on the value of source code as a target and something that organizations might really seek to protect or, or that would kind of force them to pay. And I think what we've seen over the last couple of weeks, really in April, was that they realized that that wasn't working. And so now they're getting into the ransomware game. It sounds like that's an act of desperation because of a lack of success. Can you clarify, you know, why they're resorting to ransomware? Well, they're, they're good at getting in and they're, they're good at getting to the actions on, on objectives kind of level of the kill chain. But once they get there, they were having a real hard time monetizing it from what we could tell. Uh, yep. And so ransomware is kind of the latest scheme to try to monetize getting in and, and getting access. Okay, so on that theme, there's an e-crime adversary we're tracking, Scattered Spider, who have recently increased their operations. They're a lot more aggressive. Historically, they've been selling access and extorting victims. But as of recent, they started deploying ransomware for the first time. Oh, they're they're frustrated. They've had disparaging comments against CrowdStrike and CrowdStrike personnel, in fact, in some of these ransom notes. Oh, it sounds like we're making an impact. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They, they talked about Sean Henry, which... Uh, Our chief security officer. Yeah, they, they talked about Sean Henry, which I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't do personally. He's, yeah. he's terrifying. Exactly. Joke's um, on them. And... Uh, He's like the Chuck Norris of cybersecurity. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, so we've covered e-crime actors targeting the cloud, but what about nation-state groups, right? There's a report we just released, and it's referenced in the Global Threat Report, where this China Nexus group increased some activity as it relates to cloud infrastructure. They compromised a third-party cloud management tool. They basically got access to... Uh, this infrastructure, they conducted a significant amount of recon. They got access to passwords. They knew everything around this cloud hosting platform that they they ultimately gained access to. And they even leveraged some log4j exploits. So are we seeing a major shift also on the nation state side as it relates to cloud infrastructure? I think Cozy Bear is probably the most classic cloud capable actor they went through microsoft azure like a hot knife through butter during the solar winds activity and you know in that case i think it really speaks to the complexity of of these clouds and and how these threat actors have figured out how to just kind of shoot through the, these different clouds but it's not just the russians we've seen the chinese do it as well you know ultimately it's it's just the same thing right they've they've figured out that a lot of organizations, maybe they get enterprise security, maybe they've got the right tools in place, they've got EDR and they've got things like that out there. And, you know, I've always kind of used this Bruce Lee quote about be like water. The adversary is like water. They take the path of least resistance to get 
to the lowest point. And so if you stand up and, and put up all these walls, right, you've got your, your IDP and you've got your EDR and you've got all of these technical controls in place to defend the enterprise, they could try to find a taller ladder. They could try to find a, a very complex chain of exploits that lets them get through that. Or they could steal an identity and use that identity to, to go right through as a legitimate user. Or they could find that the cloud infrastructure is super complex. And generally, you know, one of the things that I tell everybody is cloud is secure out of the box. It's when you start modifying it and changing it to actually do what you want it to, that you bring the the, the challenges, right? The, the misconfigurations and some of the vulnerabilities that you introduce by misconfiguring things. And so the threat actors have figured out they can feast on that, and and that's what they've been doing. Okay, so we have groups of adversaries that are leveraging identities to gain access to critical cloud services. They understand the inner workings of these cloud services, and they ultimately know how to exploit these systems as much as possible given the misconfigurations that admins are responsible for within these different services. But I'm sure there's still tools out there like remote access tools or even web shells, right, for servers that are in a DMZ or public facing. So are we still seeing those types of TTPs? Yeah, I mean, people are still using them today. Just recently, we saw some uh, some China shell stuff, uh, you know, in the last couple of hours. So, yeah, it's just as effective and it continues to be a problem. Okay, so there's plenty of nuances, of course, with moving to the cloud, and that includes the misconfigurations, as you mentioned, uh, the identities that could ultimately be compromised or leveraged for initial access and persistence. I'm sure that there's the complexity of just new concepts to old operation models that don't necessarily translate very well into the cloud. And that, again, in itself leads to a big area of risk and ultimately maybe even gaps in security programs. What else should we consider about concerns with cloud-conscious adversaries? Well, yeah, I was going to say it's, it's also worth noting that um, cloud doesn't just have to be the mechanism of the attack, right? It, it doesn't have to just be the target, rather. But we also see the increase in the use of cloud services for data exfil, for example, using things like OneDrive or various other cloud storage solutions to exfil data quickly in, in a way that maybe an organization wouldn't be very closely attuned to. We also see some of the threat actors out there leveraging cloud services for command and control because, you know, certainly if you have a super sketchy looking domain for command and control, that might be alerting to the security team. But by leveraging a cloud service or API or something like that for command and control, you can kind of hide that inside of a whole host of other types of traffic. So cloud isn't just the target, it's also the fabric for conducting the attack, meaning it could be used for the, the command and control and the data exfil, and uh, also uh, as a lure to get somebody to think that they're logging into a cloud service. So there's, there's lots of different aspects to that problem. Yeah, and it sounds like that problem isn't slowing down anytime soon. For our listeners interested in more information on cloud-conscious adversaries, go ahead and check out our 2023 Global Threat Report, which you can find on crowdstrike.com forward slash global dash threat dash report. With that said, you just heard from our head of intelligence, Adam Myers, on our cloud-conscious adversaries. My name is Christian Rodriguez, your co-host for the CrowdStrike Adversary Universe podcast. Stay safe out there and uh, keep your cloud protected. That's right. Keep your cloud protected. 
Thanks so much for listening to this episode. If you like what you're hearing, subscribe to our podcast and head over to CrowdStrike.com forward slash adversaries to learn more about the many bad guys we track. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Adversary Universe podcast. This is the Adversary Universe podcast.